Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you guys on this Sunday morning. If you're new here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church. And if you're new here, if you're here for the first time, or if you haven't been here in a long time, I'm thrilled that you're with us. And at the end of the service here, as Jerry and Red mentioned, um, I will be uh, down in the parking lot area. And so if I've never met you before, I would love to meet you. So please introduce yourself to me. And, and yes, Red, it is about the ice cream. All right. And, and the connecting. Okay. Ice cream and the connecting. All right. Um, I want some ice cream. All right. Uh, and so you probably received um, this packet of M&Ms when you walked in here. If you didn't receive one, you'll get some when you, uh, just, when you head out. Make sure you pick one up here. There's M&Ms because we have five M's at our church. And uh, I want you to remember this. If you ate them already, um, well, uh, you have, the, the M's live inside of you now. And so uh, what I was thinking of doing the first service is after I talk about an M, we all eat it together. Just like, and together, and it's in us there. But uh, whether you want to put this somewhere in your office, in your home, let this be a reminder of, of who we are as a church and what we're called to be and what Jesus is inviting us to do in this city here. And so uh, in a couple of weeks, I want to uh, let you know, as a reminder, we have a newcomer dinner. And this, if you've been coming to New Life for less than a year, you've never been to a newcomer dinner. It's a great opportunity to hear about our history, more of our vision and our values, and how you can find your place in our community here. And so that's in your bulletin. It's in a couple of weeks. And I'd love to meet you there. So uh, every uh, September, we come back and have a Vision Sunday. And the Vision Sunday is for the purpose of, of reminding ourselves who we are. Who has God formed us to be in this local church community? And as G.K. Chesterton said, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And so today is an opportunity to be reminded as to who we are. Who has Christ formed us and fashioned us to be, and who is he calling us to, uh, what, what is he calling us to do in this community, do in this city, and do in our world. And so uh, today you're going to get a, a, a 10,000 foot perspective of who we are as, as I share our values, and then in coming weeks you'll hear more about it in greater detail. And so I'm excited about where we're going, I'm excited about what God has in store for us, and so let's pray together, let's offer our time uh, to God uh, as we look at some passages of scripture here. And so, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, joining this family together. Thank you for uh, the gift of community and an opportunity to connect with you and connect with others. And so, Lord, as I share our values and give us really what our vision is as a church community here, Lord, I pray you would speak to us. And, and maybe there's one or two areas or all five that resonate deeply in us. Lord, may we, be, may we pay attention to what you're saying to us as I talk about who you've created us to be in this local church. And so, may your kingdom come in this place, Lord. May your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Uh, there are two questions that for the sake of our uh, spirituality, for the sake of our spiritual formation, we need to answer correctly. And if we don't answer these two questions correctly, uh, our formation will be stunted and everything for the most part will fall as it pertains to what Christianity is. The first question that we must answer right is very simply, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If we don't get this answer right, everything else falls. 
And so we must get this question, this question right of who is Jesus? And this is one of the most uh, important questions we can ever answer. Probably the most important question that we can answer. In one of the Gospels, Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, they think you're John the Baptist. They think you're one of the prophets. And then he tells, looks at Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he goes, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus is blown away by his response. He said, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you. My father in heaven revealed it to you. That might be the most important question that Jesus asks in the gospel. Who am I? Who do you say I am? But not only that question, there's another question that we must get right. And if we get this question right, but get this question wrong, our spiritual formation will be significantly stunted. And this question very simply is, what is the church? What is the church? If we get this question wrong, even if we got the first question right, our formation will be stunted. And what we see in our culture is there are a lot of people who get the first question right, but get the second question wrong. And as a result, what we see is people who are not fully mature in their faith. Uh, I read a friend a few years ago who um, became a Christian by uh, watching a televangelist on, t- on television. She, and she was uh, watching TV and, and she was, for my eyes, very far from God. And at one moment, she turned on the TV and in a moment of brokenness, heard the message of the gospel. And it was through the message of the gospel that she made a decision to follow Jesus. She called me about it and then I was just blown away by her making this decision. And so my next question was, where are you going to go to church now? Where are you going to root yourself to learn more about Christ, to, to meet other people that are on this journey with you? And she said, church, I'm never going to church. I said, why? And she said, you know, they'll hurt you in the church. I've heard a lot of things about the church. I have particular images about the church. And, and what she said was right to a degree. In the church, you might get hurt. In the church, there might, things might not go the way you want. But she had a perspective of the church, an image of the church that was been handed down to her, whether by personal experience or by second-hand experience. And because she never got the, 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 really the truth of what the church is supposed to be, her spiritual formation was stunted. Her spiritual formation did not grow on, you know, that far at all. And so we all have images of what the church is. All of us in this room, images that are helpful images, images that are not helpful images. And in our uh, church here, there are a couple of images that I come back to year after year because we need to be reminded what the church is not. Before we talk about what the church is, we have to define what the church is not. And so there are three images, three terrible images of what the church is not that many people have adopted into their psyche, into their soul, and the way they view church and the way they live in the world. The first image is this. The church is not a stadium. The church is not a stadium. It's so easy for churches, especially as they grow larger and New Life Fellowship, as New Life Fellowship grows larger, to, to, for the church to degenerate into a, a, a stadium kind of atmosphere where people come and, and they enjoy what they are observing and they're spectating, but never enter into the work that God is doing in the community. And they just come back whenever they want to come back again. And, but the church is not a stadium. The church is not a crowd of spectators. The church also is not a mall. And the church is not a, a crowd of consumers. And very easily, this is what happens to, in an Americanized Christianity, in a Western consumeristic-driven culture, Christianity becomes about what religious and spiritual goodies can I get that can benefit me later about everyone else? What can, I, what can you do for me? 
And we have to reject this. This is not what the church is to be. This is not what the church of Jesus Christ is to be. The church is not a mall. The church is not a crowd of consumers. And thirdly, the church is not a subway car. A subway car really is is a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity to each other. And churches become that. Very easily, we, we, we remain anonymous. You're not on the subway going, hey, what's your name? I hope you're not doing that to many of you. And, 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 and what are you doing? And, and let's hang out afterwards. No, but what happens in churches is we remain anonymous. And sometimes people come to larger churches because you can remain anonymous. And once you keep the, really the, the image of anonymity and the subway car image... You're not reflecting, and we're not reflecting what the church is to be. The church is more than a subway car. What is the church then? The church, and the New Testament gives language to it, and there's many different languages that it gives. It gives, we're the temple, we, 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 you know, we, we are the house of God, we are, we are the vineyard of God. But there's one particular word that I want to give us today and really form and frame the rest of our message. The church, very simply is the family of Jesus. The church is the family of Jesus. In the New Testament, that's the language that we see most common in the writers when they describe what the church is. The church is the family. We have a father in heaven. We have brothers and we have sisters. When we become Christians, there's an inheritance that we receive. All family language. When we come to God, he adopts us into his family from all over the world. Regardless of our past failures, regardless of our current sins, we come to God and he adopts us. He says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. By the way, you have some new brothers and you have some new sisters. And those brothers and sisters might not look like you. And those brothers and sisters might not have the same interests that you have. But now you are united into a new family. And most of the time I'm thinking, can I choose my siblings? You cannot choose your siblings. You have been invited into a new family. And this is the language that the New Testament uses. We are the family of Jesus. And it's important that we get that because uh, there there are really layers of what it means to be part of family. And there's at least three different types of families that we belong to. At least three types of families. We we belong to, first of all, our family of origin. The people that, the family you were born into or the family that raised you. And this family has shaped you perhaps more than any other uh, people group will ever shape you. This group of people have formed you or deformed you, you know, in in ways. And uh, we have our family of origin. We also have the family of Jesus globally throughout space and throughout time. And the family of Jesus globally is really important that we get this because we have to recognize that New Life Fellowship is not the only church in town. New Life Fellowship is not the only show in town. We, are, we have a family that spans this city. We have a family that spans this country. We have a family that spans this globe. And we always must remember that we are connected globally to a larger family. It's the family of Jesus. And this is why at New Life, you notice we have a great appreciation for different Christian traditions. For traditions, whether they're Catholic or whether they're Orthodox or whether they're Presbyterian or whether they're Baptist or whether they're anything else there, you know, uh, uh, Episcopalian, Anglican, whatever it is, we draw and we learn because they are our family. And even though your family members trigger you and give you emotional allergies, as do some of our tradition, church tradition members and families there, they are part of the family. We are united, and what makes us one is the name of Jesus. 
That's what unites us. And so we are part of the family of Jesus globally, but we're also part of a local church family. We're a local church family. And this is what I want to focus on for our time today. If you've been coming to our church for a number of years or have been coming very recently, you are invited to be part of a local church family. And every family has their set of values. Every family, your family, everyone in this room, you grew up with a set of values. A set of, of, of practices that are really important to your family at home. And at New Life, every church has their own set of values. Their set of practices that, it's what makes us unique as a church community. And so other churches in this neighborhood, they have their own values. We have our own specific values. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our five M's, our five values. And these M's are really for the sake of our own formation. It's for the sake of your family. It's for the sake of this neighborhood. It's for the sake of this city. It's for the sake of this world. And my hope is that you would see these M's in fresh perspective. And it is out of that fresh perspective that you would intentionally seek to live out these values in our community here. And so the first M, the first of our church family values is that we are a monastic community. We are a monastic community. And that means that we slow down to be with God in community. We slow down to be with God in community. And this is our first M because this is the M out of which everything else flows. We slow down to be with God in community. And the verse that came to mind this week as I was thinking about this M is the very simple and profound verse out of Psalm 4610, which says, be still and know that I am God. That's not a recommendation. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Be still and know that I am God. And the reason we need this monastic value is because we have a hard time being still. We have a hard time being still and knowing that God is God. We live in the city that never sleeps. We live in an, in an overworked society. We live in an exhausted society. Last week, I met a 24-year-old. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm exhausted. I said, you're 24 years old. Why are you exhausted? And we, we are in a city that's exhausted. We are an exhausted people. And the exhaustion is not just a physical exhaustion. I've been tired recently. I have a two-month-old in the house. I've been exhausted. But that's not the kind of exhaustion that really we're getting at. We're not talking about the kind of physical exhaustion that you have after a long day of work. We're talking about what some, what some people call a soul fatigue. A soul fatigue. Our world has soul fatigue. Many of you in this room are experiencing soul fatigue. And so this M frames and forms everything else because God is inviting you to be still and to know that he is God. And so if we're going to be in the family of Jesus, that means that we must begin to look like Jesus and begin to act like Jesus. And one of the ways that we begin to do that is to embrace this value. Now, Dallas Willard, a great philosopher at the University of Southern California, he's passed away recently. 
uh, he asked a question one day about uh, uh, one word to describe Jesus. If you could d- describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? And so he went around and, and people gave the words that you would give. Healer and, and uh, savior and forgiver and, and, and reconciled. They used all these words to describe Jesus and all those words were absolutely right. But Dallas Willard gave one word to describe Jesus. And he said, if I could describe Jesus, and he said, all those words are right. But when I look at the Gospels and I look at the New Testament, The word that jumps out off the page to me to describe Jesus is this. I would describe Jesus as relaxed. Relaxed. You ever notice when you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus, Jesus is relaxed. Jesus is filled with peace. Jesus is a non-anxious presence. So much so that his disciples, they can't even wrap their minds around it. They want him to act crazy because they're acting crazy. You ever seen someone there act so cool and you're going, why are you so cool? You should be crazy just like me. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. There's another way of living in the world. Jesus surely was passionate. Jesus surely got indignant at times. But Jesus was a non anxious presence. So much so that one day he was on a boat with his disciples and there was a storm that these seasoned fishermen had seen before. There was a storm to such a degree they've never seen this before. And as they're going crazy and frantic, the gospel of Mark says that Jesus was in the back of the boat sleeping. And Mark adds a little detail that all the other gospel writers miss with a pillow, it says as well. Sleeping with the pillow. You ever notice that when Jesus, he, there was a need that came before him. He said, you know what, let's go and heal your daughter. And he, as he's walking to heal someone's daughter, someone would interrupt Jesus. A woman would grab him by the, the hem of his garment. Something would interrupt him. No, I have a need over here. And you never see Jesus go, why are you always interrupting me? You see Jesus go, okay, let's go over there and let's heal. Is a relaxed a word that describes you? Is non, being a non-anxious presence, does that word describe you? Well, this is why we have a monastic value. Because the monastic value is to root us and ground us in a new rhythm with God. Where we are still to know that he is God. And out of that place to offer ourselves as a gift to the world. We are to be a non-anxious. There's nothing like being an anxious presence. Especially in difficult times. No one wants to be surrounded by anxious people in difficult times. This is why whenever I'm on an airplane and, and there's turbulence. The best thing that the flight attendant can do is to keep on giving out the water. and keep. I know the, the cart just almost fell over, but she's still just go, going over here and, and stuff is falling. And I'm looking, as long as she's okay, I'm okay. Whenever she starts going, I'm out of here and pushing the thing to the side and, and, and scrapping herself in. All of, I know this thing is over. This thing is going down soon. And Jesus is inviting us to be a non-anxious presence to the world around us. With all the conflict in this neighborhood, conflict in our city, conflict in our country, what the world needs is a non-anxious presence. A presence that deeply knows God. And so our first M is to slow down to be with God. And this year, my prayer is that as we think about this value, that you would anchor your life in a rhythm. 
that your life will be marked by prayer, that your life will be marked by, by keeping Sabbath and the rhythm of that, that you would enter into Scripture and read Scripture in a way you've never read before, that you would, you would be still and know that He is God. That's our first value. And if we don't get that value right, we miss everything else because everything flows from this value here. Our second value as the church that, that Jesus is inviting us to in our local church here to grow in more deeply and to model this to the world is that we are a multiracial community and we have a multiracial value. And this value simply means that we bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers and I would also add generational barriers as well. That we, we bridge these barriers. And, and the passage that I want to focus on, it comes out of the book of Revelation. And this, it's a passage that tells us what the world is going to look like at the end of human history when Jesus fully and finally reigns. In the book of Revelation, it says these words, I looked again and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, races and languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb and heartily singing, salvation to our God on his throne, salvation to the Lamb. Now that, that passage there in the book of Revelation shows us God's, God's future. What God's future is going to look like in its fullness. And we need to see that passage here because it shows us where we are to be oriented towards. Everyone is there from every tribe, every nation, every race, every language, every people group united before the throne of God. Every barrier has come down. And we need this value because our world has a way of putting up barriers. Our world has a way of putting up walls. All of us in this room have a way of putting up walls that keep us separate from other people. And so uh, these, this value is meant to tear down every wall that we have built up that does not reflect the family of Jesus. And, and so when we think about our world, we recognize that racism and classism and gender discrimination, that these things have no place in the kingdom of God. It has no place in the family of Jesus, but our world struggles with this significantly. Look no further than what's happened recently in Ferguson, Missouri, which has become really a microcosm of really a deeper reality in our country, and a deeper reality not just in our country, but in the world, of racism and classism, that this is prevalent, not just in one part of America, it's prevalent throughout the world. And this has awoken us to this reality that we are not in a post-racial society, that we still have work to do before us. When we look at some of the challenges that's happened in, our, in, the, in the recent uh, the Pan Am transition to being a, a, a shelter, the Queen's Family Residence, which is called, we, we see the, the tensions according to race and class and all of that there. And in light of all the tensions in our community and the tensions in our city and the tensions in our world, Jesus is calling us in this local church community to model something different. That there's another way of being in the world. There's another way of belonging in the world. That we are to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. The sad reality is that 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning still remains the most segregated hour of the week. And what we're saying at New Life is that's not okay. What we're saying at New Life, it shouldn't be that way. There is a new way of being in the world. 
When we look at Jesus, whose family we belong to, you see that Jesus consistently broke down walls. And the biggest wall that he broke down was between us and God. In the temple, there was a, a curtain that kept people from entering into the most holy place. And when Jesus dies on the cross, the scripture says that the, te- the, 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 the veil was torn in half. And now we have access to God. This is what Jesus has done on our behalf. But the, the veil that Jesus tore down was not only between us and God. There are other veils that are, have been erected in our community and in our own hearts. And the cross and the resurrection are to tear down every veil, every curtain that we have used to separate ourselves from other people. Now at New Life, when we think about this value, we, we recognize what we are experiencing here is the miracle of God. And we have made tremendous progress at our church here over the last 27 years. When you look, come to New Life, you'll see people from over 73 nations. You, you see African Americans and white folks together. You see Filipinos and Koreans. You see Jews and Arabs. You see Indians and Pakistani. We see Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, Chinese and Japanese, Greeks and Turks, people from Brooklyn and people from the Bronx. I mean, people, barriers are being torn down everywhere. Met someone from Staten Island in the first service. I was like, God is moving in this city. But we have a long way to go. And so this year, my hope is that this multiracial value wouldn't just be something that you go, oh, I go to a multiracial church, multicultural, multiethnic church. My prayer is that the, the, the value of reconciliation would be deeply ingrained in your own heart. And that means that we begin asking ourselves the hard questions about how we view others that are different than us. It means that we acknowledge the presence of racism and classism and bigotry and privilege in our own lives. It means that this this value really forces us to acknowledge all of the ways that we fall short and all of the ways that we need the grace of God. Have you ever told a racist joke? Have you ever used a slur or, or behaved in a racist way? Have we made assumptions about another person because of their skin color or their economic status or their age or their gender? Gender. All of these things have no place in the family of Jesus. And so to be united at New Life Fellowship means that we really take serious this this value, that we are not a sanctified subway car. We are called to incarnate our lives and to deeply connect our lives to others that are different than us so that we might encounter God there as well. And that's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is, is, in, is it incarnating your, your life into someone that's different than you and finding God there as well. And so we have our multiracial value. We also have our, our third value. A third M is our emotionally healthy M. And I know it doesn't start with an M, but you've already forgiven us about that a few years ago or so. We have an emotionally healthy, just emphasize the M there, you'll be okay, in which we are called to love ourselves and others well. And the passage here that I want to focus with this is out of Luke 10, which very simply says, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind, and love your neighbor as yourselves. We are called to be a community that loves well. Christians are to be the best lovers in the world. Because we have the God of love dwelling inside of us. To say that a Christian is loving is a redundancy. 
To say that someone is an unloving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Because Christians are not to be unloving. We, we, are the follow, we are followers of the most loving person in the world. We are the followers of Jesus. And what, if we could identify, what's one word to know that I am growing in my discipleship? How do I know I'm growing as a follower of Jesus? It's very simple. It's love. Are you loving God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind? Are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? And so our emotionally healthy value is to get us to a place where we learn how to love well. And many of us don't know how to love well. We've not shaped and formed in families that trained us how to love well. And consequently, what happens inside of us is there are internal, interior blockages that keep us from loving well. And these blockages keep us from loving ourselves well. These blockages keep us from loving God well. These blockages keep us from loving our neighbors well. And so to become an emotionally healthy community and an emotionally healthy individual means that we begin to look beneath the surface of our lives to to see all the blockages that's keeping me from loving well. At New Life, the image that we use is the image of the iceberg. That there is material beneath the surface of our lives that God wants to get at. That God wants to heal. That God wants to set us free in. Why? So that we might be able to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is why we look beneath the surface of our lives. Not so that we could just uh, uh, enjoy, however, enjoy some morbid kind of introspection. But we want to identify the areas that are blocking the flow of the love of God to ourselves and to others. We need to look beneath the iceberg. Instead, what happens, though, I don't know if you've experienced this, I know I've experienced this, is we have a tendency of avoiding ourselves. We avoid ourselves. I think much of life is actually a strategy to avoid looking beneath the surface of our lives. I think we, we create our days in such ways, consciously and subconsciously, to avoid looking within. That's why we're workaholics for many of us. Because we want to do everything that we can. We want to stay as busy as we can so that we don't have to painfully look inside to see the areas that are not right that God wants to heal. We avoid our pain. We avoid our sadness. We avoid our grief. And much of life is a strategy to avoid ourselves. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. Looking within is hard work. But do you know what's worse? Not looking within. That's the kind of damage that is prevalent in our society. Pete mentioned to me in a conversation and he, and he posted it on social media. He said this, to, and I thought it was very profound. He said, people who claim to know God well, but have a bare minimum of self-knowledge do others great damage. It's easy to say, I know God, but do you know yourself? And it's easy, we think, to know God, but not know ourselves. And when we believe this is the case about us, we end up doing great damage. And so he's inviting us to look within. Now, I got to tell you, there have been moments in my life where um, I've refused to address a problem because, quite frankly, I didn't know how to address it. And I thought, maybe I can avoid this by doing certain things. Uh, It happens a few times when I'm uh, driving. 
Uh, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, changing tires for me is a three-hour ordeal. Uh, you know, changing the oil in the car is just I'd rather not do it. And, uh, and so there was one moment where I was driving and the car started making a really funny noise. And um, progressively, after about two, three days or so, it just kept getting louder, the noise. And it was like a, 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 it seemed like it was coming from the tire. I was just like, this, it seemed like there's a problem with the tire here. And so uh, the noise got progressively louder. And one day I just said, you know, I need to do something about this. And the thing that I did about it, I just need to turn the radio up. And so I just turned the radio up. <laughs> and I said, ah, that's better. I don't hear the sound anymore. That's, that's much better. But, but the problem persisted. And as I'm driving down 87 South, coming off of the Tappan Sea Bridge, going towards the Major Deegan on a Sunday morning, I had the music blasting loud. I'm just driving. I'm, that's my, my song is on. I'm just driving. That's my jam. And I'm driving. All of a sudden, the tire explodes in the highway. Boom! Explodes in the highway. The front right tire. And, you know, thankfully no one was there. And, and I, I lived under the illusion that if I just turn the music up louder, the problem is going to go away. And this is how we live our lives. We think, if I just get a little busy, this is going to go away. If I ignore this problem, if I distract myself, this thing is going to go away. This is really the, 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 the ground of where addictions come from. If I can just ignore the problem by engaging in this here, the problem is going to go away. And yet we end up doing ourselves and others great damage. And so the invitation, if you're part of New Life Fellowship Church, we are inviting you to ask hard questions of yourselves. We are inviting you to go places that, that few people journey. As a matter of fact, I've said it before, I think we should have a, a, a um, proceed with caution sign at the front of our church. Because if you're coming into this community, we are inviting you to go places that you typically would not want to go by yourself. But we're saying we have a community here, we have the grace of God here as well to help us get to the places beneath the surface of our lives that Jesus wants to transform. And so why are we so fearful? Why are we so angry? Why are we so envious of others? Why are we so unforgiving? These are the questions beneath the surface of our lives that Jesus wants to transform in us. And it only happens when we courageously begin to look. This is why Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And when the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, we're not just talking about doctrinal truth. We're talking about truth of who God is and truth of who we are. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And so we are invited to be an emotionally healthy community so that when our world around us is going crazy, we have another way, a different way of living in the world. That's our third M. Our fourth M is that we are married to Christ. Or it's marriage to Christ. That we shape our married lives and our single lives out of marriage to Christ. And, and the passage that I look at, really, that I've been looking at this past week, also comes out of the book of Revelation. And here are these words out of Revelation, uh, I believe it's 19. It says, Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. 
Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The the image of marriage in the scriptures is is all over the place. The Bible begins with a a wedding. It ends with a wedding. And all between we see images of, of marriage and of weddings. The first miracle that Jesus does is not coincidentally at a wedding feast. Because Jesus is announcing to the world there is a banquet that's coming. There is a wedding feast that has emerged. That I, am, I have called you to be united in union with God. And this marriage with to Christ is to shape the way that we are married in the world. And the way that we are single in the world. It's to shape ourselves, our marriage in such a way that we begin to see our marriages as icons and not idols. Icons are, are windows that give you a picture of a new world, of another world. And our marriages are to be icons in that respect. That when people see your marriage, they see another world, a heavenly world. That your marriage points to a new dimension, another dimension of God's reality. And if you're single, your singleness is to be seen as a sacrament and not a stigma. That we see our singleness as a stigma. And I, why am I still single? But no, it's to be a grace of God that unites yourself to send your singleness to God in unique ways. And so our, we are married to Christ as a community. And our marriages and our singleness is to be expressed accordingly. Now with all this rich theology and, and biblical truth in the, in the scriptures, our world is in trouble. Because very few people are experiencing great marriages. And very few people are experiencing a thriving single life. Research has shown that only 7% of couples have what's called exceptional marriages. And that's problematic. Singles, for the most part, many times, are, are not thriving in their own single vocation. They're merely surviving. And the picture that the world gives us regarding marriage and singleness is not encouraging. Look at what the philosopher Chris Rock says. Chris Rock says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? (laughs) Philosopher Chris Rock, yeah. And we think about marriage and we think about singleness and we think these are all our options. We'll be married and bored and single and lonely. But to be part of the kingdom of God, to be part of the family of Jesus means that These are not the words that characterize our marriages. These are not the words that characterize our singleness. We were made for something more. And at New Life, we are inviting you to journey together, whether you're single, whether you're married, to deeply invest in your marriage and deeply invest in your singleness so that you may encounter God in those spaces. This is why at New Life, we put equipping events together throughout the course of the year. Because we want to equip you and give you the skills that you need so that you could experience what Christ wants you to experience. A thriving marriage and a thriving singleness. And so throughout the course of this year, we're going to be inviting you to take seriously this truth that your marriage is to be a sign and the wonder of the kingdom of God. So is your singleness. It's to be a sacrament unto God, not simply a stigma. So that's our fourth M. Marriage to Christ. Our fifth and final M, and this is intentional, is this is how we live out our world, is that we are called to be a missional community, a missional value. And, and we hold these two things in tension because we are called to the monastery, but we're also called to the mission field. 
And we want to hold this in dynamic tension with each other. It's not just the monastery we're called to. And it's not just the mission field we're called to. We're called to hold both of these things in radical tension with each other. And the passage really comes out of Colossians 3, which says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, when we think about being missional, there there are two really elements of it, at least two elements of it. What does it mean for us If you're part of the family of Jesus and New Life Fellowship, what does it mean that we're missional? Well, first it means that we have a love for the poor. That we love the poor. That we love Mars. That way we give ourselves to the poor in our community and to the poor in our neighborhood, in our city. That we offer ourselves as a gift to the world to empower the poor, to serve those that are marginalized. To, to embrace those that are economically, uh, you know, in, in challenging situations. To serve those that are undocumented immigrants that the world would marginalize. No, we are for the poor. We are for the marginalized. This is why we have a, a community development corporation at New Life. And if you're new here, we have 10 programs. I'm just showing you eight here on the screen. But this is why at the very beginning of New Life Fellowship, we said not only are we going to be a community for, that will just love each other here and enjoy community here, we're going to be a gift to our neighborhood. And so downstairs, many of you don't know, many people don't know this, that we have a health center downstairs, our free health center, that people come in, about 2,000 patients a year come in from our community to get free health services and screenings and checkups. And volunteer dentists from our church and other words come in to serve our community. We have a food and clothing pantry. We have after-school programming. We, we, we have, you know, Cub Scouts and, and Young Governors, a, a youth initiative as well. We are committed to the flourishing of this neighborhood. We are committed to the flourishing of this city. We are not just after our own spiritual and religious goodies for ourselves. And so we are called to be a missional community. We are called to love the poor. But not only are we called to love the poor, we also, to be missional also means that every single person in this room recognizes that you are called to full-time ministry. Everyone in this room is in full-time ministry. Next month, we're going to have a commissioning service where we've been doing it for the last few years where we commission you to your workplaces. And people say, Rich, I'm not a pastor. If only if I was a pastor. No, you, in your, wherever workspace that you're in, you are involved in full-time ministry. This is why at New Life, we say, it, it, we are trying to ban the phrase, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. No, everyone is in full-time ministry. And we are to see our workplaces and to work for the flourishing of our workplaces and to see our work as inherently holy unto God. That our prayers thus don't matter. It's how we also work in the world that matters. Everyone is called to full-time ministry. And so those are our five M's. We're monastic. We are multiracial, emotionally healthy. We're married to Christ. We are a missional community. And really the invitation this year is for us to deepen these values in our own lives. So that God would do something in us, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world around us. And so where do we go from here on this Vision Sunday? How do I take my place? How do I enter into the family? How do I really connect myself in this family? Well, there are three words for us. And they're very simple words. These words are connect, grow, and serve. My prayer and hope is that this year, if you haven't already done so, and even if you have already done so, you would do it in a deeper way. You would connect in community. That you would be relationally invested in this church. That new life is not just something we do on a Sunday morning. But new life is something we do throughout the course of the week. That we are relationally invested in the lives of other people in this community. That we would grow. That we would take responsibility for our own spiritual formation. That we would not live off of other people's spirituality. 
but we would cultivate our own walk with Christ. That we would take seriously what it means to follow Jesus in this world. That we would take ownership of what it means for me to be a disciple of Jesus. And that we would serve. That we would offer our gifts to bless and serve the world. And everyone in this room, God, I believe, has brought you here to be part of this family, to connect in community, but also because there are particular gifts and experiences and passions and skills that he has deposited in you that this community and the world around us can benefit from. He's brought you here for that reason. And so this year, I pray that you would begin to cultivate that and give expression to that. Now, I want to get practical here because a lot of folks say, Rich, what do I do next here? How do I get grounded? What, what, and I want to give you a very simple guide for those of you that might be new, because it says newcomers here, but really it's for folks that have been coming to new life across the board. And my hope is that you would get on the journey here. For some of you, you're not even a Christian, or you're exploring Christianity. And I met a, a couple in the first service here that they're exploring Christianity and don't even know about it. But we have a, a course called Alpha that's starting this month where you can explore Christianity in a safe environment to ask questions and share a meal with other people. And so if, if that's where you're at on the journey, I want you to sign up for Alpha. Your new, the newcomer dinner is in a few weeks there, which I talked about already. If you've been coming to New York for less than a year, I want you to check out the newcomer dinner where you get a fuller perspective of what we're talking about here. If you've been coming to New Life for a while, but you've never formally said, I want to be rooted as a, in this community as a member of this church, we have communitas. I met someone who's been coming here for about six years in the first service, and they said, I, I am going forward now. I'm being rooted in this community. I'm taking communitas. And that's what we're inviting you to do. And then you would take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. That we want, I want everyone to take this course because it's... it's, it's it is really gives us the paradigm of how we want people to be deeply changed as followers of Christ here in New Life Fellowship Church. And so this is what I want to do. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And uh, we're going to prepare to take communion, a family meal together. And then we'll have some family ice cream afterwards as well. Okay? But this is what I want to do. I want to leave you with this verse. Last night, as I was, before I went to bed, I was just reading some passages. And I was, uh, I believe, led to this passage because I believe this is the passage that describes what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do in our lives together. And Isaiah 43 says, Behold, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. For some of you, you've experienced a wilderness experience this past year. It's been a desert experience, perhaps spiritually. But I believe that there are a way in the wilderness that's coming. There's a way, there's rivers that's coming in your own desert. God is doing a new thing in your life. And he's saying to you, do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? I'm doing a new thing in you. And God's doing a new thing in our community as well. That I believe the, the, the best days are before us as a church. And as we embrace these values and live these values out, I believe God's going to do even more new things among us, in us, and through us. And so let's all stand together and let's come to the table. The table of grace, the family table of Jesus, communion. And when we come to the table, we come not in our name. We come in the name of Jesus. When we come to the table, we come not in our performance. We come in the performance of Jesus. 
when we come to the table, we come not in our works, we come in his work. And so this is a table of grace that everyone is invited to take from. And Jesus Christ is broken and bruised so that this community might be whole and healed. And so when we take bread, I want to invite you to take it, dip it in the cup, go back to your seat and hold it before God. And all these little pieces really come together to form a, a, a family, the family of Jesus that he has purchased by his death and by his resurrection. And I'll lead us in a, a prayer together and then we'll take communion together. And so, Father, thank you for this family that we're a part of, this local church family. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you've been speaking to us. All the ways that you were inviting us to a new way of being and belonging in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that these five M's would take deep root in our souls. That we would be a people that slow down to be with you in community. That we would bridge racial, cultural, economic, gender barriers. We would love others and love ourselves well. Our marriages and our singleness would reflect that we are ultimately married to you. And Lord, we would offer ourselves as a gift to the world. And so as we take this bread and dip it in the cup, Lord, thank you for the ways that you have purchased us and loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. So with the bread in your hand, I want to give us a moment of repentance. And the reason we do it in this order is this. It's the book of Romans, it says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God that leads us to repentance. And so we come to the table in the name of Jesus by his grace. But that grace is to form in us a repentance, a way of saying, Lord, thank you for your grace. And now I recognize all the ways that I have missed it. And now we receive his forgiveness as well. And so I want to give us a moment to repent, to turn and maybe I want to use the five M's as a, as a way of repenting. And so for monastic, maybe, it's, maybe one of these stick out to you where you say, Lord, I repent for the ways that I have not really uh, slowed down to be with you. I repent for the ways that I've been living in a, a crazy pace of life that has ignored you. For multiracial, I say, we say, Lord, forgive me for the ways that I have harbored in my own racism and classism and bigotry against people that are different than me. Lord, forgive me of that. Emotionally healthy, we say, Lord, forgive me for not for loving myself and loving others well. Forgive me for not even looking beneath the surface of my life so that you can heal and change me. For married to Christ, Lord, forgive me for the ways that I have viewed my marriage and viewed my singleness. And now, Lord, I have a better perspective of it. For missional, Lord, I repent of the ways that I have lived just for myself and not for the blessing of other people around me. And so that gives us a lot to repent from. But maybe there's one of them that you want to just focus on and offer that to the living Jesus in our time. And then we'll pray this prayer of confession together. Let's take about 30 seconds or so to offer our own repentance before God.
And so, Father, we confess our sins to you as individuals. And uh, we pray your forgiveness. And so, Lord, as a community now, as a family of Jesus, we confess our sins together. And so, everyone together, God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Let's all take together. church said, Amen. As we close here, I want to invite the prayer team to come forward to my right. And I realize that there's been a lot that I just shared. This is our Vision Sunday. And maybe there's something that struck a chord deeply inside of you. The Holy Spirit maybe addressed an area of your life that you want to receive prayer for. And so we'll have our prayer team here to my right. So you can come up. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're not even a Christian. But whoever you are, we want to create a, a small and a safe space here for you to receive prayer. As we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. I, I want to encourage everyone just to go to the parking lot area. Uh, get your kids first. Don't forget your kids if you have children, all right? And, um, and it might get crowded. It might be long lines or so. But may you use this as a family bonding time to connect with people maybe that you don't know, to get their name and say, hey, my name is whatever, and this is where I'm from, and this is how long I've been coming to New Life. So let's use this as an opportunity to join ourselves together as a family, not as a sanctified subway car. And so uh, with your hands in a posture of receiving, let me pray a, uh, pray a blessing over you. And so brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. May he heal you. May his face shine upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater awareness of His presence in your life. May you be sensitive this week to the moving of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. May you be devoted to prayer and devoted to doing His will. May these five M's, these five values be deeper, deeper and deeply ingrained inside of you. May you enjoy this community as the family of Jesus. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the reconciling name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.